You're listening to the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast, a conversation between audience and artist intended to demystify and celebrate the classical music and opera art form. My name is John Jacob. The Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast is available on Spotify, iTunes and Audio Boom. If you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to the series via your preferred app so you'll get an alert every time a new podcast is published. This podcast is also a mild but pleasurable labour of love for which any support you can provide would be very much appreciated. To contribute to its ongoing development, visit thoroughlygood.me and click on the donate button. I've got to eat after all. Hello, a new opera, The Monstrous Child, written by composer Gavin Higgins and author Francesca Simon, about the teenage daughter of a Norse god who's in search of her place in a mythical world, opens at the Royal Opera House's Lindbury Theatre on Thursday the 21st of February. Jessica Cottis conducts the Aurora Orchestra in the run of performances. Jessica and I met in the Lindbury Theatre during a break in rehearsals yesterday Thursday the 14th of February. In addition to talking about the opera, we discussed the connection between science and the arts, orchestral scores, the thrill of being in the orchestra pit, and polyhedric structures. We began our conversation with porridge oats. Um, What I need to find out first of all, before we go anywhere, is just to find out from you uh, what you had for breakfast this morning, please. Uh, What should I have for breakfast? I had gluten-free porridge actually which is a slightly different thing with uh, banana and walnuts and a little bit of honey a tiny bit of cinnamon and some oat milk and it was made for me and it was really yummy <laughs> so it's a lot more detail than I normally get um, uh, how do they get the gluten out of porridge oats? Uh, they make they, no it, I mean there are, there's no gluten in porridge oats Right. There's no I didn't gluten in oats, but basically oats are often processed in a factory that processes oh. wheat. And the grains obviously are ground, so they become a kind of aerosolized, if, if a non-liquid could be, or a non-gas could be aerosolized, whatever the word is. And so that contaminates the non-gluten wheat. So these, sorry, non-gluten oats. So these oats are made in a factory where there are no wheat products. You know about science, don't you? I can tell. You've got a science thing going on haven't you absolutely definitely where does that come from um i think potentially if i wasn't a musician i might i might have i might have headed into science that's what i mean you know when i was younger that's what that's what my uh my interest one of my interests was i did work experience at at the scientific institute in australia working with with insects in the entomology department wow why um, <laughs> Sorry, slightly judgmental <laughs> I mean, question. I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> why not? Insects are fascinating. How, how old were you when you went and did that work experience? 16. 15, 16. Uh, it, yeah, I was uh, yeah, fascinated by 
the things that we don't really pay attention to, the things that are around us but we, we don't think about very much and are everywhere. And how uh, an insect's role in an ecosystem actually plays a huge part to us in our daily lives and everything that we have around us. It's fascinating. And then you, you played, but then you had a, an accident and then you got a law degree... I, no, I didn't get a you law You didn't degree, get the law though. degree, all oh, that biography. I, oh, okay. I studied law. I oh. never finished the degree. Did you give up? <laughs> um, look, I, I left it hanging for some years, thinking that maybe just as a kind of intellectual pursuit, I would finish it. Uh, and it's not impossible that, you know, one day I might go back and finish it. However, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. quite busy. <laughs> I've got other things, yeah. got other things in the diary. Um, what, yeah. I, what I would really like to do is I'd really like to go in the pit because yeah. I haven't been in a pit for 25 years oh, okay. and I find this kind of space really exciting. Um, it's brand spanking. It's very slippery there, by the yeah, way. Yeah, careful. Um, <laughs> I have leather sole shoes, which is not what I should be wearing today. Uh, it really is new, isn't it? I mean, like, look at the floor. No cello, I mean, very few cello spike marks. Oh, it's just so a cozy. few scratch. It's very, it's actually extremely cozy. Uh, it's, it's a lovely, it's a lovely place. It's very got that nice. new car smell. It's yeah, really it got that new car smell. And all the black is fresh. It's really nice. It's a very nice space. Do you feel at home here? Because you you conduct a lot of orchestras, so your your normal venue your normal venue yeah. is a concert hall. Yes, uh, on stage in a concert hall. What are the challenges about being in a pit? Oh, so, so many. I mean, the, the, really, the biggest challenge is making sure there's contact with all the singers on stage. Doesn't matter where they are. So we've got one singer way at the back there, just checking always that sight lines are clear. But also staying in touch with the players who are very, very close here in the pit. I mean, the symphony orchestra a little bit further away. Mm. So it's a different kind of gestural language and different kind of connection. You kind of have to be in two places at once. Isn't it actually standing here? Do you want to come uh, up to the yeah, podium? Yeah, OK. Yeah, I'm sorry, I, obviously I have an ego problem, which is sit, why I want to have a podium. sit on the conductor's OK, fine. This is the closest I'll, I'll, I'll ever do. Yeah, isn't, isn't there a tendency to, when you talk about the people at the back... Yeah. For you to really overemphasize, because because in this space, you you might think they're never going to see me. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, I uh, no. I you mean, don't see it, what it, I mean. It, well, I do oh. see what you mean. I mean, it would be possible to overemphasize things, but actually, it's it's a. Uh, we've been in rehearsal for five weeks, so we've pr- we kn- I know where the singer needs me, right? And she knows where she needs to look at me. So there's there's a kind of trust that goes on and I know if I my left hand goes out to give a cue or it's, it's you know it's waiting to prevent the singer from singing and then there's the cue that we've we've kind of practiced this does so it, it th- doesn't need to be huge there's there's also an additional thing which I've forgotten about which is to a certain extent you're you're hidden here from yeah, the audience partially so, yeah, yeah apart from my head and if I've got my hands up high yeah which is very different from the concert platform experience which is a much uh, my assumption is that's a much nicer experience <laughs> Look, the, the, <laughs> uh, the, the two things are very different the two disciplines whilst I'm still conducting they're they're com- they're completely different yeah, worlds no, and they fe- feed in but I mean yeah I, lo- uh, I like both what's, I love both what's on the stand because we're here to talk about we're here to talk about an opera yeah the composer is ill yes uh, but so I'm hoping that you can tell me about the opera that I've not heard of before so it's called The Monstrous Child. Uh, it's based on uh, a book by Francesca Simon, 
uh, an award-winning novelist. And uh, it's, it's about uh, a, young, a young woman actually called Hel. She is a character in kind of the realm of Norse mythology. She's about, she's a teenager. She's been born half living, half corpse. And, and in the original mythology, it's, you know, one left side of the body is living, you know, right side is, is not. And, and we've, the, Francesca and the director have split it um, half half. So she is stuck in this effectively mound of flesh at the back of the stage. Uh, you see that there. It looks like a giant slug. Yes. And it's, it basically follows her, um, I guess I could call it a life. She's stuck in eternity, really. Uh, and she, uh, how she deals with, with being in that position. She falls in love. I don't want to give too much no, away. No, I realise that I actually just, me that, asking that question yeah, is I mean, like, like People should it. come and, and, <laughs> yes. and watch it and enjoy it. Yes. But I can tell you that, you know, Ragnarok happens, the end of worlds happens it's very exciting and uh yeah it's uh, it's an incredibly dramatic and human and real piece i mean it it, everything about it even though it's rooted in norse mythology it it feels very it feels very human when you um when you first had the score yeah presumably there was nothing else that needed to be corrected. You were presented the score and then rehearsals began. Is that how, is that how the process worked? Uh, it's different for each, uh, each opera, each contemporary piece. I, I, was, I feel really privileged, actually, because I've been involved with this for two and a half years. We had some workshops here at the Opera House yeah, ages ago looking at a couple of scenes that Gavin had written. And we workshopped it with Caspar Holton, the director, uh, and some singers. And some things worked and some things didn't. And we've had some workshops from then. So the process has been quite, I mean, it's been hugely collaborative between Francesca and Gavin. But also getting it to this stage, it's been really nice. Uh, Seeing the work develop from its kind of early stages. And then, yeah, the score has come along and we've we've made changes in, in production rehearsals adding time to some places, changing some words, giving singers a little bit more space to get an important piece of text or an emotional quality across. Uh, Also in the orchestration, you know, what's needed to enable the singers to perform at their very, very best, Uh, what's needed to get the the character and the colour over. So all of this stuff has been developed, and this now... In, in front of us is, is the final score. It's so pleasing to look at, but maybe that's just a me thing. Yeah. But I, I, I see the full score in front of me and think, oh, it's like having a really big meal. Yeah, it's, it's a thing of... Is that, is that just a me thing, or, no, or do you no. experience that? I mean, that? I, I, have, I love full scores, and as you can see, I, I mark mine up. Very neatly. Very meticulously. I mean, with colour coordination and everything. Yeah, it's this kind of again a, a sort of scientist's brain of marking it up into its constituent parts, structure and the instruments. And I hear different qualities of instruments as different colours. So that's that's what you see on the score oh, here. That's, that's why you've got. Yeah. Right. Okay. Right. Strings are always a kind of reddish, reddy brown hue, and winds tend to be in in the blue blue hues so yeah I mean and actually it's interesting I see this almost as a kind of it's quite artistic actually yeah. in in the sense of 
here is something to look at that is of interest and it somehow says something, even though those notes are literally just on the page. It's waiting. It's waiting yeah, for performance. and I, I think absolutely yeah. wanting to come alive. Yeah, that's, and, that's a uh, lovely thing. Yeah. How often are you looking at it? I mean, you know, when you finish rehearsals, are you, d- does it then go back in the bag uh, or go, go back on the shelf or are you taking it home and then looking at it there? Yeah, I take it home. Uh, sometimes I don't look at it, but somehow in the act of carrying it home on the tube, I feel like it goes in uh, even more. No, I mean, of course, uh, after a busy day of rehearsals, actually there's, I, I need to do something else with my brain. Right. I can't keep looking at the same thing maybe six eight even nine hours of doing the same thing i need um to find inspiration from other things and where do you find that where do you go oh all kinds of things um visual art other forms of music uh, literature uh, the natural world around us philosophy um really lots and lots of things you don't strike me as a crossword person or a word search person. Uh, no, no. no. You think something slightly deeper and more yeah, meaningful. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 like to, I like to think and uh, actually kind of find out. I, I'm really interested in how things are, like how people think. Why is it that people think in a particular way? Uh, why, why was it interesting for you to come down and stand in the pit? That, that's, kind of, that's kind of fascinating. Mm. So, yeah, so all of those kind of things. That said, the next morning I will get up and I will look over my score. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah when I've done all my thinking, I yeah. will prepare for exactly. the day ahead. Yeah, I will. I mean, obviously, turn up to rehearsals, extre- I mean, uber prepared. Um, yeah, and I just feel as though you're defending, you're clarifying yeah. your position. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, just for the record, yeah. <laughs> uh, even though I know it, but sometimes... Yeah, just to go and, and look at a vocal line again and think, did that, did that really work yesterday? There'll be something in my mind. I'll think, you know, maybe that was just that was a bit vague. And what can we do today? The smallest of changes often. Uh, what can I do when I conduct, or what discussion can I have with the singer to make this come alive even more? My assumption is that because there's no recording of this mm. and that you have nothing to go back on, mm. that actually that makes it even more demanding because actually you're having to recall memory mm. of a performance of something mm-hmm. that's new. Yeah. Uh, is that not... Cha- uh, yeah, that, I mean... That in itself is exhausting. Uh, yes, I think it could be. Uh, I think I'm lucky in that my brain works that way. So I don't find it exhausting. I actually find it... Energizing. Okay, okay. I wondered. Yeah, okay. these things. I mean, it, it, when when one learns a new score, when when I learn a new score, there's so much, there's so much in it. There's no history, and so it goes in in a, in a very kind of pure way, and what develops throughout the weeks of rehearsal is something that we've all created. I mean, I've uh, Gavin has his vision, and I've come along with what my vision for the piece, and then. We've put it in practice. And so everything develops. Everything, I, I, it feels like a growing process. We, we water it and, it, and it, you know, it continues to develop. When it's over then, you talked about how when on the tube you hang on to it, <laughs> which I think is a lovely thing. Uh, when, when it's over, yeah. do you anticipate that letting go of it physically and metaphorically will be straightforward? Yes. Uh, yes and no. So, Great, they're the kind of answers I like. Yeah. Um, so this, we finish the run, uh, the score gets put away on a shelf somewhere in my house, and uh, it will stay there until 
you know, if there's a revival of it, obviously I'll pull it out. But the music itself stays within. And uh, I mean, certainly for weeks afterwards, I'll have fragments of this playing through, through my head uh, at any given time of the day. And I, I find it interesting, actually, the, the deeper or the mo more profound an understanding of a, of a piece of music, the longer it stays in. So it, there are some works which, which have been there for, you know, 10 years and will continue to be there. And I don't know where there's space in the brain for these things. Who knows? But the, it, it's, all, it's actually still all there. I, um, I make, uh, or <clears throat> certainly over the past few years or so, I've made uh, video montages of various things. It would take too long to explain, but they, are, they have been sort of, if you like, flights of fancy uh, within a work context. Uh, <clears throat> things to do with tap dancing and uh, Sondheim songs and piano <laughs> duets and that kind of thing and bringing unlikely people together in video to do it. Uh, and similarly, I've done similar things with, with podcasts. Mm. And actually what I find is that when I've made them and I've published them I then forget about them mm -hmm. and then for one reason or another I end up listening to them or watching them again and they feel like picture postcards mm. that I've sent myself <laughs> yeah I wonder whether there is a similar experience with a score yeah. for you because you're having to pour over this mm -hmm. a lot yeah definitely and in fact picture postcard is a really quite a poetic way to, d to describe it <laughs> I am quite whimsical <laughs> some no, have it's, said <laughs> it's, it's nice because if I had to describe it I'd say uh, I feel like I have a structure of the piece in my head and it, it's a kind of polyhedric structure of sorts so when I start learning a piece it's, it's, it's a bare skeleton I know how many scenes there are that's the basic skeleton and then from that connecting rods are added in and uh, it might go off in one direction or another direction, and then everything goes in, you know, the harmonies, the notes, the articulations, the shapes, the colours and everything. And then it becomes an entity, an abstract entity in my, in my mind. It doesn't come alive until we actually get musicians. But that, in a sense, it's like, yeah, a polyhedric picture postcard stored somewhere in, in my memory, which at a particular point I could then yeah I could flick through them if I wanted to in a similar in a similar way how does your I know that we were meant to be wandering around but actually yeah. we're here now we're we in the well pit you seem here. to enjoy the podium uh, that's fine. So, yeah, yeah. And I've got I've got yeah. two other questions that I definitely want to ask but I'm interested in how in exploring how your obvious love fascination possibly even obsession with <laughs> science supports uh your artistic expression uh, you make it sound as though somebody else has asked that before, have no, they? Then no, that's okay, it's, we can proceed. It's, it's a very good question. Because it's an unusual, well, it's not an unusual combination. In the Victorian era, it was science and the arts. That's mm. why the Royal Albert Hall, yeah. the V&A, and, 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 yeah. and all around there, that's why they were all built, because there was a close relationship between science and the arts. Mm. But you don't necessarily stumble on that now. No, it, it's, not, it's not a common uh, means of moving forward now. Uh, it's, it's got something to do with empirical discovery, I think. And fine, music's all about expression and emotion and communicating and connecting. And that's, that's its most wonderful thing about it. But how do we get to that point? Sure, we can express ourselves just freely through 
crying or screaming and those kind of things. But if I've been given the opportunity to lead uh, and inspire a group of people to create a big piece like this, then I feel like I have to know it from a cellular level and the constituent parts of of that cell as well. So the the approach, it it has to be scientific. The the initial approach has to be scientific. And from that, I mean, is philosophy a science? Maybe. I don't 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 want to answer that. I'm really frightened. (laughs) Because if I say something, then somebody else will go, oh, you're an idiot. Yeah, I mean... mean, no, it's not classified as a science, but then th- there, are, there are different levels. I guess it's just e- examining and asking questions. As conductors, we ask questions. We need to ask questions all the time, and that's really what a scientist does. Uh, and that's what a philosopher does as well. Uh, but it's, it, yeah, for me, it's, it's just getting down to the smallest element and starting from the largest element, looking at it and thinking, okay, how can I understand this? all of its constituent elements and then how do they relate to each other and through the process of the study something there's then some magic occurs this is the bit i don't understand the the examination of everything and then something intuitive and instinctive comes from the knowledge of everything so something okay if i understand you correctly something mysterious can something mysterious uh magical inexplicable can be created only from your perspective if you can go right into the detail absolutely but do you not then have a subsequent need to find out what that magical inexplicable thing i mean surely as a a partial scientist yeah definitely uh but there is a never-ending loop it is and actually i mean there's a beauty in there are things we will never know there are things we don't know and there are things we will never know and that in itself is a fascinating a fascinating concept and it's a, it's actually quite a beautiful thing to know that no matter how hard we um we think about something there may never be answers that's that's kind of cool <laughs> yeah, it's cool it's also terrifying <laughs> i can see why it motivates you i can totally understand why it crushes me um <clears throat> uh i didn't expect us to go there that's really that's really fantastic i hope you've had something for tea um that you mentioned earlier on that you were—I didn't know whether this is just like a wild example—but mm-hmm. example, you were curious about why I would feel excited being in the pit. Yeah, yeah, I am actually. What is it about this place? It's a terribly urgent space, I think, mm. and it's a special space, uh, and um, only special people come here. So yes. it's, it's a lot to do with my ego, I suspect. <laughs> but but it is. There's a. It makes me think of school plays. I never want. I, I did a participate in school plays. I was always cast as the vicar, mm-hmm. um, and on account of your height, <laughs> on account of my voice, I suspect <laughs> my rather pompous voice, probably. And um, and the bizarre thing is, is that I never really wanted to be on the stage. I wanted to be in the pit mm-hmm. during a during a school musical because it, it felt like this was the engine room. Yeah, it's it's the engine room, and if it doesn't work, nothing works. Yeah. And you're not... I mean, you are exposed, because if you do fuck it up, then it's not going to sound very good. But at the same time, there's a... Um, there's a sort of informal urgency. Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? I mean, there, clearly there is a sense of occasion when you perform, when you're playing in a pit. But at the same time, because you're not fully exposed, it's only the sound. Mm. That I kind of like that paradox. Yeah, it's... We're not performative in 
in the pit because no one can see us. So our only means of expression is through sound, mm. which is very freeing in a way. And also, it's a weird position because as musicians, we're, we're watched all the time. I mean, that's, that's the nature of the job. Mm. So there, there is a very dif- different atmosphere in here. Uh, but it, it feels to me, especially in this pit, it's not, it's not a, a huge pit, uh, a real sense of um, connectivity between all of us. It's a very chamber-like playing. It feels very, uh, very in the moment. It's almost like a laboratory, actually, because it makes me think, you know, we're all in a box. We're all in a box together, and we've got to do this thing, and all attention is on us in terms of the sound, but not, not visually. I, I'm... Um, I love it. Yeah, I'm less interested in the stage. Don't really, don't really, <laughs> obviously, look, don't tell. Look, it looks great. Look don't great. get me wrong. It looks yeah. great. I'm not clear on, um, obviously, the upstage canvas and all of that. That's oh, just a projection is, yeah, for this is some te- production. Te- technical thing being right. projected for some reason. I like the way you just sort of dismiss it as some technical thing. Yeah, I, <laughs> Such not, a not, my, <laughs> not my, my area. Uh, what are you doing uh, after this? Uh, I am um, not the interview, obviously the opera. Do you mean this, this evening or no, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, um, I'm what is so- the next? What is the next project? I, I see. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'm actually up with Royal Liverpool Philharmonic uh, for a couple of concerts. We're doing a French program, Ravel, uh, Samio, some Satie. It's a great program. Uh, some Germain uh, Taifer. I'm really excited about that. And then immediately after this, I think the next day we're doing an Icelandic program with LSO and then I fly to Malaysia to do God. Yeah, a, a program there in Kuala Lumpur. Yeah, it's very exciting. Do you like flying? I love flying and I love... Do you love airports? I don't, no. This is oh, 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 what? I dislike airports immensely and if I could just... Just get on the get plane. Get on the plane. <laughs> that would be my dream life. I absolutely love being up in the air. Uh, yeah, I'm having. I'm. I'm learning how to fly helicopters. That's yeah, I how heard much about my love that. Is. Yeah, uh, um, because you like flying. I love it. Is that not really complicated and dangerous? It probably. <laughs> It feels very safe with my instructor sitting next to me, yeah, speaking okay. calm words to me as I make, make a, a does bubble your, in the air, rock backwards and forwards. Does your heart not race when you do it? Yeah, it's thrilling. I mean, I think it's, oh. it's absolutely thrilling. Um, how long have you been learning to fly a helicopter? Uh, well, it's, it's difficult in amongst uh, my work schedule. It's about, about a year and a half now uh, I've been having lessons but sometimes I don't have I don't have sessions for four months because I'm not I'm not able I don't have free time to do it do please be safe I just I just don't like the I mean I know I don't know you we don't know each other at all but I just think you're taking a massive risk <laughs> stay on the ground <laughs> helicopters are overrated really no um, they have the best view <laughs> it's it's very it feels very um you know aeroplanes are so smooth for the most part and helicopters they, they can kind of do anything, you know. It's. You actually like the you like that sort of shake and rattle and roll and sort of feeling very close to the elephants. Yes. How, how any very, of this could all fall apart. Very much so. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, I really admire to, that. It, it's it's a it's a real experience, and it's not dissimilar from conducting. There's a lot of excitement going on, but you have to be incredibly grounded, and 
incredibly calm at the same time. So a, a mix of the, you must have a mix of those two things. Uh, and the focus involved needed uh, to fly a helicopter is, is huge. And I, I, just the parallels between conducting and, and flying, I think, are, are so similar. And it's such a, such a lovely, alive place. You've been listening to the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast, available on Spotify, iTunes and Audioboom. To get in touch, tweet at Thoroughly Good, leave a message on the Thoroughly Good Facebook page, or email john.jacob at thoroughlygood.me.